The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code broken silicon for 25% off Windows codes and die shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later, but for now, let's get to the show. Broken Silicon, a computer hardware and gaming podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I am, as I am every other week and other random occasions, joined by my co-host. His brother, Dan. How's everybody doing? Well, they can't really respond to us. At least we haven't gotten the live calling system set up yet, which we're working on. So just get ready for that. We're not working on that. So people Uh, aren't like live responding to these every time then? Um, well, they are there. Th- so uh, a carrier is delivering live reader mails and I'm opening them with a letter opener and reading them. Okay, good. I it's mean, a weird system we've set up, but I there's like a tax loophole. I didn't realize how many of your fans, uh, had carrier pigeons, but that's pretty cool. And say carrier pigeons. It is an old 1800s oh. guy on a horse who shows up with a leather satchel. Like the, uh, Chinese system, uh, on the great wall where they could get a message pretty fast across the country. That's an interesting comparison, I suppose. <laughs> Actually, no, not at all like that, because I said it's an 1800s guy on a horse with a leather satchel, and you brought up people. Oh, I guess they rode horses on the Great Wall. Well, there's no wall here. No, we will, now. Not yet. Now Once the Great Mexico wall, pays for it, we'll get it. Now the Great Wall just serves as a prop for Tony Hawk to skateboard over. Did that just happen? No, that happened like 20 years ago. (laughs) So, wait, did that happen? That would have been early 2000s, the heyday of Tony Hawk, right? Yeah. And he skateboarded on the Great Wall? I think he jumped the Great Wall on a skateboard or something like that. With like ramps? Yeah. What? How have I not heard this? And just think of like the local people there looking at this thing their ancestors built 2,000 years ago. And it's like, you fucking sick grind, bro. <laughs> Man, late 90s, early 2000s, there were some uh, interesting neocon events going on with American supremacy, I gotta say. <laughs> it's not enough that we're the number one superpower. Let's just fucking do a wheelie off of your monument. <laughs> well, now Tony Hawk has a pretty funny Twitter account, though, so... That's cool. <laughs> Where uh, his uh, a tweet he had like a couple of years ago was just at an he said at an airport the TSA agent asks says, "Wow, you look a lot like Tony Hawk. I wonder what he's up to." Then I respond, "This." <laughs> <laughs> well, so what have you been up to, Dan? What games have you been playing? Uh, not too much currently. Mostly just when I'm playing shit with you. Um. Which we've been I'm playing busy. Borderlands. You fell asleep last night again. That pissed me off. So me and Dan play video games late at night. And every now and then, it turns into this thing where I have to guess, is Dan actually still awake? Because he'll have full sleepwalking conversations for a while. And he'll be like, yeah. And then like I'll ask a question. And you know it's about to go down when Dan answers a different question. <laughs> like I'll ask you, I forget. Oh God, what did I ask you last night? I said, 
oh, so I think this is right over there. Uh, can you come here? And you were just like, yeah, I've never thought about it that way. <laughs> and then you I said, mean, but I think we'll get through these. We'll get through this when we want to. So we were getting the Iridium Slab uh, writings, by the way, everyone, that achievement trophy. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a pretty interesting uh, system my sleepwalking brain has devised. By the way, uh, when you were falling asleep, I was saying, no, when you randomly said, don't worry, we'll get this trophy when we want to. For those who don't know, I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of different trophies slash achievements. You can get in Borderlands 3, you know, beat all these bosses, do every mission, get this gun. Uh, we have the last one. It's just you got to get find the Iridium writings. And it's just like we hate fetch quests so much that there's been like three months where we've had one trophy left to get the Platinum trophy. And uh, here's the thing, Dan. Well, you were falling asleep. I looked it up. There's like four left. We all have right. almost yeah. all of them. We're getting I'll that tonight, Dan. Tonight. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting this. It's part of our Valentine's Day broken hearts special thing that's also going on on Borderlands. Um, oh, and as yeah. me and Dan do not have any celebrations on Valentine's Day weekend as we plan to die alone. Uh, Hell yeah. So, yeah, but, all right. Well, I've also just started uh, Half-Life 1, the, what is it called? What is the uh, um, that mod called? I don't, I don't have Steam open. So it's I not can't a mod, remember. is it? Well, I mean, it's not a mod, no. I mean, they remastered um, Half-Life 1 of the latest Source Engine, and the beta is now out for the entire game, including the last Zen area. Uh, Black Mesa. Black Mesa. So, which is what I was waiting for. I'm like, I will play this when you finish the goddamn game, guys. I'm not interested. That was so annoying. There were like two years where they had the game 90% done, and I'm like, okay. Let me know when it's 100, because <laughs> this is a single-player game. I will beat it in a weekend, so I'm not just going to get through most of the game and then wait for your bullshit update for the last hour. Yeah, I know. I agree. Um, I mean, I tried to play the original once, and <laughs> I got about 30% of the way through the game, realized I missed a massive uh, like item I needed to get to progress through the story, and I was like, no, I'm not going to beat this. Closed it and never opened it again. <laughs> yeah, I will say this. Um, there is something with older games where it doesn't matter how good the game is. Every older game, every couple hours, there's a moment where you're like, where do I go? Yeah, I know. I I, I don't know like, what it what, is. but Like just getting to the lab first. And that intro scene was way too long, uh, I thought. But getting, I gotta say, so far, I'm saying no. I think Half Life Two is better. Although, th although I will say, Half Life One is excellent, though. I, I still think it's an excellent game. I mean, just going through the area where the head crab guys start appearing first, and you throw flares at them to light them on fire. I mean, it's constantly changing the uh, the the pacing and what you do in each area. It's so creative and fun. But at the same time, it's like no, I I do think Half Life Two it just is better. I mean, so that's far. also what made Half-Life 2 such a good game is that it, there was, I mean, there was just a level in the game where it just became a horror game. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I'm sure that's, again, I'm just going through the beginning now, but yeah. One thing that I thought was funny is this old ass engine, like that when it, you ever, anyone who's played these old source games knows that you'll be walking down a hallway and all of a sudden there's a really long ladder, like an extra long one. And then when you start going up, it all of a sudden it says loading. And you sit there for like 10 seconds while it loads the next area. That still happens, even with my Gen 4 SSD. So I just looked at Task Manager, well, that happened one, a few times. And it said it was using 
3% of the bandwidth of my Gen 4 <laughs> SSD. I bring up the Gen 4 SSD thing because I've seen so many people get in arguments with me in like comment sections about eliminating load times and the benefits. And we'll get to this more in the future here because there's some more uh, reader mail about this, but like the advantage the PlayStation 5 might have over the Xbox, whatever it ends up being called. I think Series X is just a placeholder name. When, well, yeah. if it has like double or potentially triple the bandwidth for its storage, there's people who go, well, I mean, you know, that's going to be like 10% faster load times. It's like, no guys, look at Half-Life 1. It's using 3% of my Gen 4 and, and just 3% logged usage. It's really probably like a 100th of the usage. Like that 3% is probably like a hollow 3% as well. If this was being used 100 times better, I mean, yeah, there would be no loading. And in fact, it's not even like, we're just talking in a linear fashion. We're not talking about if they literally programmed it for this type of drive. It'd probably be a thousand times faster. <laughs> and then, yeah. and, and it's, if it's a console, they will use it, guys. They will use it every bit. But I mean, anyway. yeah, that's the thing that people always talk about with consoles that, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's true. I mean, they're designing for one uh one skew they're not designing for a bunch of different uh setups so yeah they can take advantage full advantage of those uh features that will be in the ps5 uh, and xbox whatever they call it you know and here's another example i will give so grand theft auto 5 on playstation 3 it literally there was an issue if you had a slower hard drive and downloaded the grand theft auto 5 because they literally were streaming information from the disk and the hard drive at the same time to get that extra like five or whatever megabytes per second of bandwidth to load things. That's the effort they went through just for the PlayStation version of a third-party game. Do you really think they're not going to program their third-party games to utilize the storage advantages? Of course they are. Of Especially, course they are. They I mean, already yeah, do it. Especially with uh, Sony and Microsoft both pushing pretty heavily how uh, fast the storage is going to be for their new devices. Yeah, so if you think it's not going to make a massive difference, I mean, you're just silly. It's going to make a massive difference for both consoles. And if the PlayStation has some, like I've been sent information about some dual host, ultra fast, like, like the equivalent of Gen 4 SSD RAID is what I'm told it is. If that's what it has, they will program for that extra speed. They yeah. already do. They already program for like loading from a Blu-ray player and the hard drive at the same time. <laughs> and that's just a ridiculous amount of effort for almost no gain. They will definitely take advantage of double the bandwidth. But anyways, I digress. Let us move on to some corrections uh, sent in by people. Some I wrote down. First of all, there is a there was a bonus mini episode of Broken Silicon. I called it 35.5. This was when someone reached out to me and they were trying to get to like a solution to people uh, with the driver issues with Radeon. And I was like, well, this guy's got about a thousand people. Let's just get this net. This is just talk for a couple of days. Use both of our resources to have people test some fixes and uh, try to get out a stopgap solution for people who are having driver issues. And it's there. And, and to this, uh, it's been, you know, a couple of days since that came out. We're recording on a Sunday. Uh, February 16th. 
Everyone says it works. Uh, so, and just in general, Broken Silicon 35.5, I think, was a decent episode. It's actually gotten a lot of views. Uh, we talk about drivers with NVIDIA and AMD in general, The te- like kind of some of the history of our graphics cards. So if you like Broken Silicon, listen to that. And I did delay a Hits and Gems that was going to hit the free f- feeds uh, just because, I mean... Very podcast-heavy week. There was one on Wednesday. There's a die shrink on Friday, a broken silicon <laughs> on Friday. And I'm like, I'm not doing four podcasts in three days, guys. So I'm just going to push that back to probably next weekend. But yeah, listen to that. And what I want to say about it, too, is, you know, it got a decent amount of downvotes. I mean, obviously, it was overwhelmingly upvoted over 90-something percent or 95 percent upvotes or something. But it was an. Uh, I still find it weird that it got five percent downvotes. That's still more than average. And when this is just a guide to help people with drivers, and if you read in the comments section, it's very obvious that the downvotes are coming from AMD fanboys that are mad that I'm reporting on driver issues, which is just bizarre. Like, I mean, I, I maybe most people aren't having issues, which I think you said most people aren't, but. I mean, you and I both experienced uh, stability issues due to drivers, so I know that's anecdotal, but that, I I mean, I feel like it's just both of us had issues. There has to be a decent percentage of people that are having issues with drivers right now. Yeah, I'm trying to help people, and it's absolutely, and he brings that up, my guest who is uh, like an AMD graphics card modder, and uh, an overwhelmingly pro-AMD person. But he talks about how he got so annoyed when people started shitting on hardware unboxed for reporting on a consistent issue he had in the AMD drivers. And it's like the guy, and he says this, the guy, like Steve Walton basically like is super delicate and kind of like very careful to say, otherwise everything works well, but I have to bring this up. And yet everyone shits on him and calls him an NVIDIA shill. That's something I talk about too. I'm seeing a lot of people like rage quitting AMD to NVIDIA. And I'm like, guys, I, I'm telling you, you're going to, Dude, when the RTX series came out, the 2080 Ti had like a 50% failure rate. And now people are talking about how there may be a problem with Navi. Look how quick everyone is to forget that that literally happened to NVIDIA. Everyone's like, well, AMD is worse. It's like, no, but NVIDIA just did this. They literally just did this. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And, and, And again, so my overall point with that, though, is no, if you switch to NVIDIA, you might have just as many problems. I've been really lucky with my laptop, frankly, one of the most stable laptops I've had in my life. Um, so I'm happy with that. But I got to say, guys, if you can't deal with some of this shit, then you should just game on console. And I know that uh, we've had a good run, 2013 to 2000, uh, I would say 16 or, or 17, of just super stable drivers from all companies. But yeah, I don't know. I'm seeing troubled cl- uh, clouds on the horizon here, where I remember like in 2011 and well, 2008 through 2011, how insane their drivers were. Yeah. From from all companies, too. <laughs> Worse with NVIDIA in my experience, but man, I don't know. And with all the new uh, technology coming out, all the new products and the shakeup in the market, I don't know, guys. It might get pretty unstable pretty soon for a while. Hopefully not, but we'll see. Well, anyways, let us move on. So we got some reader mail corrections here. Max writes in and he says, does anyone know what's going to happen to Chinese Asian products with the Corona Chan on the rampage? You know, when it comes to the coronavirus, first of all, I like this. What's going to happen to Chinese or Asian products? You mean all products? 
<laughs> <laughs> All products are have some component made in China, or or most do. I mean, what do you think about this going on right now with Corona? Uh, well, I guess just you could, however you want to answer it, whether it's overall or with regards to our products coming out. I mean, so I'll just say this. At my place of work, there's it, it's a research institution, so there's just a lot of Chinese people that work there. So they've had to deal with a lot of stuff right now. Like every person that's been to China in the past three months has to, they're being forced to stay home for two weeks at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Which is the top incubation period that we've seen for Corona is 14 days. Yeah. So I get an email every like few days right now, like reminder that everyone coming home from China must stay, do a self quarantine for 14 days. Uh, so it's going <laughs> to delay a lot of products. Like I think it's going to delay a lot of stuff. You know, one thing I saw, and this has been talked about on some console podcasts I listened to, is, you know, like the PlayStation may get delayed and the Xbox may get delayed. I think most of the components are designed, the designs are done. And that would be the biggest hurdle is if this hit, well, they were still designing and working with the foundry. So I think that's okay. But there's a lot of hints that the PlayStation may end up launching in December even though mm. I thought it might launch sooner or a while ago. but And it has to do with two things. Number one, the fact that they changed some of the specs late 2019. So I think it has to do with that. And number two, this corona thing, that they're not entirely sure when they can get it out. I, I think personally when it comes to like the consoles and some of these new releases, I, I suspect it won't delay them a ton. Like I don't think you're going to see anything miss a year. I think what you'll see is things get delayed like a month and just way lower supply. Yeah, my guess would be somewhere between one to three months and definitely supply issues. I think the supply issues is going to be the bigger thing, though. I I don't think And these are factories run by robots. I don't think Sony or Microsoft would um, would delay so much that they don't release during the holiday season because Mm -hmm. they're just not going to let that happen. Yeah, exactly. Even if the even if Sony can only supply like eight hundred thousand units or something instead of five million, which is what they yeah. probably want to supply. Yeah, they, I, I think they would. There's still a major impetus for them to release before Christmas. Yeah, that that that's definitely what I think is going to happen. And Joe, and just speaking at the macro level here about the coronavirus, I haven't talked about it. I said I would if people wanted to ask me on the loose ends, and no one did. But I got to say that I've been very outspoken, at least in the Discord, from the beginning, that this is a way, way, way bigger deal than people were making it out a month ago. You don't, you don't pour dirt on the roads to a major city the size of New York unless something is gravely wrong. And any numbers reported by a communist country cannot be trusted. All right, let's move on. So Phil Zero writes in, and he says, the 3500 Ryzen 5 is the six-core SMT non-SMT CPU you were referring to when you said 1500X. Correct. Next question. (laughs) Essen writes him, on the subject of side channel attacks in Intel, it is not that their CPUs have more potential side channel vulnerabilities. It's just that they are a targeted priority. Uh, And that argument is true. Give someone a piece of software hardware law, they will eventually find an exploitable vulnerability if you give them enough time. But that doesn't mean the original material was ever broken in his exception. So I think the point Essen's trying to make is a lot of people, and it's again, it, it, it's usually AMD fanboys um, 
they are saying, well, there was always this back door into Intel processors, blah, 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 blah. That's why they were able to get this. And it's like, no, there's just been more Intel processors sold and they have had um, the same rough architecture for a very long time with the same vulnerabilities. I guess that's the point he's trying to bring I up. I think we've talked about that before. Like, yeah, I like that reason- reader Mayo though for emphasizing that. Yeah, like the reason that the, it's become so exploitable isn't because that it's an inherently like exploitable architecture. It's just they've been on it for so damn long. Yeah. All right. And moving on to a reader mail from Carbon Cry. Do you have some retrospective thoughts on plasma TVs? And have you ever seen a plasma monitor? So I'll, I'll say I've seen plasma TVs and they looked absolutely amazing, but that was a very long time ago, like probably a decade ago. And I know they exist, but I can't say I've ever seen a plasma monitor, not in person, probably online I have. Have you? No, I've only seen a few plasma TVs in general. They, I mean, weren't plasma TVs, they had better fidelity for a time, but they were way more expensive and burning was awful on them. Yeah, the, they had mega burn-in problems. They used an uh, astounding amount of energy. Um, but they looked, they were better than LCD for, uh, like, I, picture quality for a while. I've heard some people say that they're almost comparable to OLED and how good they looked back then. But again, that you're oh, talking right. about a $20,000 TV that uses, like, you know, 200, 300 watts. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can't say I ever saw, I, I can't say I was ever around plasma t- uh, TVs a lot or, or monitors. I, I I don't think I've ever seen a monitor online or anything. I'm sure someone made them, but. Um, and then Crass writes in, now this one's a long one. He just wrote War and Peace, but it was, he used really good grammar and brings up some really good points. So I figure we'll go through it. Let this be a lesson to all of you. If you're going to send us a message, write it like a letter and use good grammar. He says, I love the most recent die shrink about how TVs are coming strong at the monitor market right now. I consider your line as a great example, and I do agree that it's a monitor killing TV. Yeah, um, I think I know where this is going to go. I've never said OLEDs were great five years ago. And that's something I keep seeing people say in my OLED monitor or TV. I, I think of it as a monitor. I really don't think of TVs and monitors any different anymore, guys. Just one is stupid RGB shit all over it. And one of them actually has apps. They're, they're really the same thing at this point. But um, he says, but I think some context was lost where you keep quoting the one millisecond response time. Um, and so... He gets into, you know, what actually is a response time. And guys, I know. I know. And if you actually watch my OLED TV review, I didn't even measure the response time by using some silly app. I actually put my quote-unquote 1 millisecond TN 1080p 144Hz monitor next to it and then used a 1000Hz camera to record the percent difference. So... Whatever the actual response time is, it's only 50% more. And this TN panel is marketed as one millisecond. Okay? So that means that TV is like 1.5 to 2 or 3. That's it. I'm saying it's less of a response time than most IPS monitors. And everyone's buying those. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Go on. He also gets to this point of um, really this OLED TV is the first good one. And it's like, I know. (laughs) <laughs> I never said anyone should buy the 2016 and 2017 um, uh, OLED or I don't know when they started selling them. What is it? 2017, like C7s and C8 uh, TVs. 
I never said anyone should buy those. You know, my entire point of that OLED TV review is this is the first one worth your time. I guess what I'm saying, Crass, is I agree with everything you said, right? I, I know. And I, I want to be clear that I think right now, right now is when OLED TVs are becoming good enough to be monitors right now. And that was my point. Is I, It was always very clear to me that the OLED TVs from 2017 were good for movie aficionados. And that's about it. Because they definitely did have some burn-in. And then 2018 was probably okay enough for a console gamer and movie aficionados. And then 2019 was the first time where they're like, free sync, HDMI 2.1, we fixed the response time, and burn-in is not really an issue anymore. And guys, you've seen it. I leave mine on in the background every day. No burning, guys. <laughs> it's been a year. I've had it for a year. No burning. Not a single thing's burnt in. And so I can only imagine their 2020 model which will have a 48-inch flavor, which I've seen on desks in some early reviews coming out now. And it does, hey, 48 inches is actually a lot smaller than 55. <laughs> like, that's, if that sells for under a thousand bucks, and I think it will before the end of the year, that for me means I'm just utterly done recommending big 4K 120 hertz panels. I'm done. You get that because it's better. <laughs> um, and, and, I guess we're. I guess do you have anything to add to any of that, Dan? <laughs> I mean, yeah, forty inches is a lot smaller. I mean, as a it, as the size of the screen goes down, the area goes down twice as fast. So once you're at forty inches, if you're a crazy person, you could almost use that on a desk. <laughs> and I, and that's always a big discrepancy I see is people see me say one thing and they're and the and the, it, you really break it down. And, I, and I'm not talking about you, Crass. You'll see other people's entire opinions or it breaks down to something they read two years ago. That's not true anymore. And that's my point, is that OLED is here. It's here to stay, and it's better than it used to be. And now it's just about good enough to be a monitor. And that brings us finally out of this endless pit of reader mail into the first story. So LG is ending domestic LCD production in favor of ramping up OLED. The reason I bring up this story is I keep seeing people act like OLED is a stopgap, and that's why they don't like it. And it's like, LG's ending production of LCD <laughs> domestically. Do you fucking think that means OLED is not here to stay? That means they're betting the company on OLED. Yeah, I mean, that means that I'm sure they're going to start coming out with smaller uh, screens pretty goddamn soon with, that use OLED. Because they wouldn't just... Maybe there will be a year where they don't have that much. I don't know, but... Yeah, that's a pretty big sign that at least LG is confident OLED is here to stay. Yeah. And so, and I've seen a lot of other companies announcing big OLED initiatives. I saw specifically Sharp is investing a ton of money into it. Obviously, Sony's always been there. Um, and there were a couple other companies. I think maybe Vizio. Basically, every company's pouring money into this. It's here to stay, guys. And I just want to reiterate this point I keep bringing up. When people bring up other technologies, now some of the newer ones sound like they might have better wider color gamuts, which sounds interesting. Now you're starting to speak my language, you know, in yeah. terms of how you can beat OLED. But most arguments against OLED seem to be, well, this new technology will almost have the same response time. It'll almost have per pixel dimming. I don't want almost. We have it already. And that's why I think if they can just solve the burn-in issues and make it cheaper, which they are, clearly, this is a great gaming monitor technology. 
Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. if other panel types can get better, why can't OLED get better in the things it's bad at? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I just don't I, get I, I really this don't either. Know. I don't even know what people are arguing about. It's like they're just like, it's like it, it can't be enough for people to say, I don't want to spend two grand on a TV. That's fine. They then have to tell themselves they're smart because they didn't do it. <laughs> like, okay. I, mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I would have had a plasma TV for a decade if I had the money, but I don't. <laughs> like, it's not because I'm smart. It is mostly because you're smart, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. And because if I don't buy something, it's not because I don't have the money to do it. It's because I'm smarter than everyone else who did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lebo Kinkilo writes in and he says, when these cost effective 4K and 8K OLED monitors drop to around 500, you need to sound off like a canary in a coal mine. Oh, I'll sound off like a drunken cockatoo screaming in the back of a Petco. Don't worry, guys. I'm using uh, the same, you know, 1080p, 144 hertz TN panel. Uh, and I will for sure let you guys know when I see something great coming for, because I need it not just for gaming, but for like editing too. Like I want a higher resolution. But again, the color accuracy on my monitor actually seems to be very good. It's brightness accuracy is not though. Like there's too much white. Well, that's a, that seems to always be a problem with TN panels now. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll let you guys know. All right. Story number two. AMD Radeon Instinct MI100 Arcturus hits the radar, and Tech Power Up claims they have the BIOS for it. Uh, this is pretty exciting for me. Let me read part of the article. And I quote, AMD's upcoming large post-Navi graphics chip, codenamed Arcturus, will debut as Radeon Instinct MI100, which is an AI ML accelerator under the Radeon Instinct brand, which AMD calls server accelerators. Tech Power Up accessed its BIOS, which is now up on our VGA BIOS database. The card goes with the device ID 0x1002, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to read the whole thing, which confirms AMD and Arcturus. The BIOS also confirms that the memory size is a massive 32 gigabytes of HBM, clocked at 1,000 megahertz, and possibly... Oh, Possibly a terabyte of bandwidth. Duh. <laughs> um, if the memory bus width is 4096 bit. Man, tech power ups expertise. <laughs> they did get the BIOS though. So that's why I decided to use their article because, you know, only fair. But if you look at it, guys, this is the, I thought Whispers of Arcturus video months ago. The, the specs are like 8,192 stream processors. Um, on seven nanometer EUV. There's a lot of uh, hypothetical die sizes and stuff like they point out, which is interesting. If all they do is increase the amount of stream processors, you know, they don't increase ROPs or add any special features. It could possibly have a die size of 430 millimeters squared, which would be smaller than Big Navi <laughs> with <laughs> 128 compute units. And also that it supposedly has a 200 watt TDP with a 1300 megahertz boost clock, which is another very interesting thing, showing how much more efficient seven nanometer EUV would be in just doubling the cores, but lowering clock speeds by 40%. So what do you, what do you think, Dan? I think the uh, big obsession with Arcturus, we were talking about this before we got on, has always been interesting. I mean, I guess I, I don't have too much to say about the technical aspects of it because I don't, I mean, it's not meant for gamers, which is wh why, what I was getting to. Why I think it's interesting, the obsession there is around it, because like most of us won't want this. I mean, it does pretty much confirm that video you had from a few months back, though, right? For the most part. 
Pretty much, yeah, that it's probably not even, it might, not only is it not for gaming, uh, and and that's obvious when you see they didn't increase the ROPs and it has double the stream processors. Like, and, and again, it might actually just still have a 4096-bit bus as well when you consider that the Radeon 7, especially for gaming, but also just the MI60, which is what it, the professional version of, you know, the Radeon 7 is based on, that card could have used a substantial amount more compute. Like when you look at its uh, benchmarks in 1080p, it's only like it's only like 15 to 20 percent better than a Vega 64 in uh, 1080p gaming. That like directly relates to the teraflops, and it's because it just has so much bandwidth that it actually wouldn't surprise me if they just double the cores, clock at 30 percent lower to make it efficient, and uh, keep the same amount of bandwidth because that'll it'll probably balance out fine. And, and back in that video as well, I talked about how there's a lot of references to this might not even have any version that's even capable of video outputs. Like, guys, this is an accelerator card. Like, this is just GCN, you know, the new, like GCN 6 or something, maybe the same GCN as Renoir with double the cores. And this makes sense to compete with Volta. You know, that can do 120 Terra Ops of in 8, I believe. And so this can do 100, which is worth pointing out as well that MI100 refers to the um, Terra Ops of Int 8 performance, which I won't get into that. But that is that. Uh, so almost du- double, th- I that's, guess. Uh, right? Is that for uh, AI performance yeah. or something? Okay. Well, so. among other things. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I, it's worth pointing out that this will be better at compute prob- specific. I'm sorry, better at specific compute tasks. Then Big Navi. It would not surprise me if Big Navi was capable of doing other professional tasks way better once they, uh, you know, program for it and all of its unique features. But yeah, I don't know. And uh, the last thing I'll say is even if this was a gaming card, if it really just still has 64 ROPs, but double the stream processors and that's it, I honestly don't think it would be more than 20% better than the Radeon 7 at gaming. Although it would be insanely good at uh, multitasking, which is something no one talks about. Like, they're like, well, you know, the Radeon 7 and Vega 64 are good at running multiple tasks at once, like whether it's, you know, mining and gaming at the same time or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, but they found that Fiji, you know, the Fury X series had like 75% utilization. So that's why it's good at multitasking because it just has a shit ton of stream processors and they're not getting fully utilized. Well, I, I, yeah. And, It'd be uh, better to utilize them. I mean, and if uh, also with the back to the Arcturus, it's just funny, like reading the article, it's <laughs> AMD's Linux sources mentioned it doesn't have a 3D engine. And uh, yeah. basically they stripped down all 3D ra- uh, raster graphics ability to make it a smaller chip. <laughs> yeah, which again is, uh, I guess that's another thing to point out is the Radeon 7 doesn't have RX in the name for a reason. Now, AMD is, of course, ridiculous and marketed it as a gaming card, even though it really wasn't meant to be one. But, <laughs> I mean, it's 331 millimeters squared. That's smaller, I believe, than a RTX 2060's die size. Like, it's just yeah. a compute card. That's what it's built to do. And That's scale happens, with energy. And happens to be pretty good at gaming. It happens to be... I have enough grunt to game as well as a 2070 Super or something or a 2080. You know, it happens to game as well as a 2080. Yeah. That has over double the die size. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, though, uh, Carbon Cry writes in, 
You talked about Vega 56 and 64 benefiting from high bandwidth cache segments. Did you perceive similar improvement for Vega Frontier or Radeon 7 given their large frame buffers? And how does this difference look like in gaming versus compute, in your case, mining? Mm. So let me see. So I guess he's asking two questions. Do you? He's saying, do you think that uh, high bandwidth cache is going to be as much of a benefit for the 16 gigabyte Vegas versus the 8 gigabyte? Um, I mean, I'd say it's probably the same difference. It's just how often are you going to need 24 gigabytes of RAM, which is what it appears in Windows as when I run high bandwidth cache with my Radeon 7 versus needing 16 gigabytes if you're using the high bandwidth cache segment with an 8 gigabyte card. The thing is with my Radeon 7, it just really helps it swap out data faster which helps with certain apps right now. I'm never using more than 16 gigabytes of video <laughs> memory, even if I was mining and gaming at the same time and rendering. Like, it just straight up never... I've never seen it get over, like, 10 gigabytes so far. Uh, then again, I game in 1080p, so that's the thing. But yeah. um, So I think the difference is about the same. I remember... I specifically remember to Adored showing 4K gaming in the newest Tomb Raider, and the 2080 had huge stuttering issues, but... And that's because it was using 10 gigabytes of video memory. The 1080 Ti didn't, of course, because it's 11 gigabytes. And the Vega 64 also didn't have stuttering issues. It had a little bit of a worse frame consistency, but it was playable, he said, compared to absolutely unplayable. So the way I think about it is, if it's a professional app, it seems like head bandwidth cache can benefit by almost acting like you have 50% more memory, assuming your RAM is fast, by the way. Um, but at the same time, it's not exactly the same. It doesn't completely eliminate the issue. I would think of it as like saying you get kind of 20% more bonus video memory effectively before you'll start no noticing giant stuttering. Um, and that it really doesn't matter how big the amount of RAM you have is. It's just, are you ever actually going to need more than 16 gigabytes? Um, I don't have anything to add to that. No, I mean, I guess generally speaking, the way I understand it is it kind of just makes the two RAM pools be more unified. So, I mean, there's probably an added benefit from that inherently, but I mean, even for me, eight gigabytes right now isn't a huge limitation. And based on what you're saying in those benchmarks, it's going to be an issue soon, just having eight gigabytes, I guess. But I'm sure there's been know. some games where you benefited, you game in 4K and you didn't know. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> the other thing I'll add is how does the difference look like in gaming versus computer, or in your case, mining? And that's a good question. It depends. It really depends. There are some mining algorithms I've run where high bandwidth cache made a huge difference. And it often has to do with what mining software you're using. Even for Ethereum, there are some mining softwares where some of them benefited from being turned on and some of them didn't. Where it really benefited was dual mining. When I was dual mining Pascal or Sciacoin with Ethereum, Having high bandwidth cash would like give like a like it would give like a 10% boost to the Ethereum hash rate. And then the secondary, because again, it's mining two algorithms at once. That's how powerful <laughs> Vega is. It would get like a 30% boost to Psycoin. So it was a huge deal. It was, it was an absolute, I mean, that thing made me, yeah. It was very nice having those mining cards. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, so there's a very real benefit. And that's just in mining where it's just kind of a happy accident that it helped. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. even like it was really programmed for it right away. But it, I'm saying like right when Vega came out, right with the rough drivers or, or mining software put together, right with the first update to the mining software like a week after Vega came out that literally just right away was like, hey, we added support, but it's not optimized. There was like a 20% <laughs> boost from high bandwidth cache. 
uh, I don't remember. Does uh, Siacoin and Ethereum do they use a lot of uh, video memory? I, I haven't done Ethereum it for a long does. Time. Yeah. Okay. So that was the thing is you wouldn't want to mine two coins that were high bandwidth uh, at the same time. But what you could do is mine Ethereum, which is very bandwidth dependent. And then it would have the extra bandwidth to mine a algorithm like Pascal coin or Sci coin because they didn't need a lot of bandwidth, but you have the extra compute. Yeah, because my memory of like dual mining is you essentially don't lose efficiency in either algorithm but you do use more energy <laughs> a lot more like 50 percent more energy yeah. but you're mining two coins so it was worth it and you actually got a boost in ethereum mining which was a very complicated reason there was a legitimate reason though about like timing it was interesting i actually read about it once i don't remember it though <laughs> so, so that was another interesting thing that yes you'll use way less energy if you undervolt like you'll like i think it was something like you'll get to like 44 mega hash using 150 watts if you solo mine ethereum uh, and then if you really push it, you'll use like 200 watts and get like 46 or 45 mm -hmm. mega hash. But I, I got to 49, 48 mega hash dual mining. Now the thing was using 350 watts, <laughs> but, uh, no. yeah. So not that much, uh, power, mm. but <laughs> well, it was, you know, mining two coins at once. And the first coin it was mining, uh, was 10% higher than if it was solo mining. And back then in 2017, the mining profitability was so outrageous. Energy usage, frankly, wasn't that much of a factor for me. Yeah. It's like, how much energy can my house electrical system support? <laughs> <laughs> Which I got right up to the edge. Anyways, let's move on. Number three. So it looks like RDNA may be announced at the beginning of March, maybe late spring. And this is coming from WCCF. Uh, and I quote, Word on the grapevine is that AMD is preparing to talk about their upcoming big Navi GPU at the Financial Analyst Day on March 5th, 2020. This will be the perfect time. This is their editorializing. I don't know if this will be the perfect time. This will be the perfect time to reveal a few key details with the company's re-entry into the world of high-performance GPUs. Well, first of all, WCCF, uh, Radeon 7 and 5700 XT are definitely high-performance. I don't know. It's like they're just out of it. Uh, something, unless we, unless again, unless you're calling the 2080 mid-range, which I do, so sure. Uh, something <laughs> that has been lacking for quite some time now, which is true. It has not competed in the top tier for a very, very long time. And I don't know, I haven't been told they're going to announce it, so I don't have any source confirming this, guys. But what I'll say is it would be funny, in my opinion, if they announced it on March 5th. So I guess, right, so I guess a few weeks from now, um, if they announced the big Navi cards at a financial thing, just because I, I think it's really worth emphasizing that AMD decided to not compete in the high end for a while. This was a decision. And it would be so funny if at a financial conference is when they announced it, not a gaming one. Just like, nope, here's our financial decision to finally compete in the high end. What, what do you think, Dan? Um, I mean, yeah, it makes sense that, well, like they're having driver issues right now. So, and we've talked about how they might be spread a little bit thin. So maybe it was yeah. best for them to not re-enter into it for a while. Um, that's what I, I think is being shown. Yeah. The idea of showing this at a financial analyst meeting is sounds weird to me, but it, based on the way that's framed, I guess it makes sense to me. Um, I don't know how much I have to add to that. Uh, uh add other than that but i mean yeah. i'm excited for them getting back into the high end if they are getting back into the high end well i mean if if everything i've been sent and everything we've seen again 
reconfirmed is true, which is 80 compute units, possibly HBM2E for the top model. I mean, look, guys, you're talking about at least, I mean, maybe it'll be clocked lower to maintain reasonable TDPs, but this is on a seven nanometer UV. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't see why this couldn't be almost double the compute performance of a 5700 XT and over double the bandwidth. Like if they do that, like there's no way around it. The 2080 Ti is only 30% stronger than the 5700 XT, guys. Double the compute? Yeah, yeah so this, would, come- this would absolutely crush the 2080 Ti, even if it scaled half as efficiently as you would want it to. Half as efficiently, it would still probably beat Titan RTX. And I suspect Ampere is not going to be a slouch either. So I'll just throw that out there. We'll get to that part in a second, though. Hmm. I guess, what, 80 compute? If it's something like 80 compute units, that would definitely be stronger. Would that uh, give that would give AMD the performance crown at least? Oh what yeah, Nvidia has right now. As if they can get it out first. And I guess the last thing I want to add to this is just looking at what I mean. Like, what, what do we mean when we say they were spread too thin, guys? How many architectures did they actually launch? It was all GCN. And think of Polaris. What was in Polaris? RX five eighty, RX five sixty. That's it. Even the five ninety, <laughs> it was just a die shrink. A slight half node shrink of the RX 580. So they launched like two Polaris dies. Yeah. That's it, guys. One Vega on desktop. That's it. Vega 56, Vega 64, Vega Liquid. These were all uh, the, the professional <laughs> Vega, the Vega 48 professional they launched on Max. Those all come from the same die. They launched one desktop Vega die, two Polaris dies. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of smaller, lesser known ones. But, and then for mobile, there were a few, you know, uh, different Vega and Polaris flavors there too. But all these are basically cut down of a handful of dyes. I mean, look at Navi. There's two. That's it. <laughs> yeah, There's two dyes right now. And I mean, think about what is going on with Turing. There's so many. TU-1017 uh, is the 1650. And then I think, uh, I don't know if it's 116, I think, for like the 1660, 1660 Ti series. I think 1650 Super is that now too. And then above that, what do you have? TU-106, TU-104, TU-102. They have like a, they have a, they have double the dies. And this is, this has usually been true. That's why they rebrand so often is AMD doesn't have the resources to redesign all these different dies, which does take a lot of work. I know everyone's like, well, you know, just say it has this bandwidth and then less cores. No, they have to put a lot of effort into designing the actual diagrams and like sending it to TSMC. So, I mean, going with, that's why I don't think they're doing any full refresh again. I think what they're going to do is, or they're not doing a full lineup of RDNA 2.0 right away. What they'll probably do is launch one or two RDNA 2.0 dies, maybe three. And they're just going to refresh Navi 10, Navi mm-hmm. 12 with faster RAM on better and higher clock speeds. Maybe they'll die shrink it. To, and I don't know. I don't even think they'll die shrink it to seven nanometer UV because they need the capacity of the more widely available seven nanometer. Because, yeah. Uh, and how uh, long does this come after the unveiling of uh, the original RDNA? That was, what, July last year or something like that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, pretty fast turnaround time if this is being announced in March. I guess that's my last... Well, they are, they're already designing it. Well, yeah, obviously. They just had to fix it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, I think they intended to have it come out sooner if they could have. But um, anyways, let us move on to number four. 
Arctic Sound Intel GPU, a leaked slide showing 512 execution units, which, by the way, I reported on last summer, <laughs> um, and a 500-watt TDP. So, again, remember these early leaks showing that Arctic Sound or Big Z might be really efficient but not scale that high up in performance? It might be the other way around. It might yeah, actually is- be that they can scale it incredibly high in performance, but they have power usage issues. Very similar to Navi. Yeah, because I'm looking at it, it's interesting. It looks like it. It, it looks like its power scales more. <laughs> it scales uh, exponentially versus a uh, uh, power usage uh, scales slightly exponentially versus, uh, uh, I guess, uh, graphics performance or compute performance. So I have to cut in here. I have a source, Dan, who sent me information about what's going on. So please (laughs) let me add on. Um, So I can't confirm. I have to be careful because there are certain things I just can't say. But Intel, what I will say is the way Intel's focusing their graphics architecture is it's quite logical when you think of what their markets are. Their markets are mobile. And then they want to get into big data centers and professional. So similar to Vega, that means you want it to be super efficient when it's small and super high performing if you add more energy. And so they're going to do this with tiles. And, and I'm, I guess I'll say this early before I have these big videos come out that I'm working on, but Intel is legitimately working on the thing that we thought AMD would have first is what it sounds like. The ability to group multiple graphics cores together and be seen in the software as one GPU. Like that's what they're working on. And when you have a high power interconnect like Infinity Fabric or whatever Intel's mm. is going to be called, it uses a lot of energy. And that's a bottleneck right now for them. Okay, that's interesting. So the four tiles. So literally based on what we know right now, like four tiles is four separate, uh, I don't know, four separate chips that they're stringing together as one Logical GPU, basically. Yeah, that makes sense because you take one tile and you can use this as an add-in card for a laptop. But then you can just put multiple of them together for a high-performance card. That's so interesting. It, it, but... it makes sense why they would do their strategy this way. And so I guess what I'm saying is I really do expect Tiger Lake's graphics to be really efficient and really powerful. Potentially better graphics performance than Renoir. However... The way they plan to scale this up is with tiles, with about 128 compute units each. And there is a big problem (laughs) when the interconnect is using more energy than anticipated. So in the short term, expect hyper-efficient integrated. In the midterm, expect decent mid-range graphics and some super powerful, but also (laughs) 400 watt probably graphics cards at the top. And then long-term, though, this is what they're working on solving. And assuming they can solve the power usage problems of their interconnect, yeah, I, don't, I think it's going to take a few years. You, can't build, uh, you don't build Rome in a year, you know. But they do plan in a few years to be competing in the ultra-high end. They do. They really do. So I just want everyone to know that. But it's not going to be this year, and it's not going to be next year. Next year, I expect lower or mid-range or maybe lower high-end. Well, yeah, because their two tile is expected to use 300 watts, which the two tile with uh, 128, is it? 
Yeah. Uh, EU, no, 256 EUs, I think. Yeah. I don't remember I don't remember how strong that would probably be uh, based yeah. on my analysis I did. I, I mean, you know, with that, you're probably looking at it competing with like the 3060 maybe, if they're lucky, or maybe a bit below that. Well, and I don't think you'll use that. I don't think they'll launch it <laughs> using a ton of energy. Yeah, because if that used 300 watts, they, they would There's need no to way. sell that for such a low price for it to be worth buying. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So I think they have some TV and issues to get through before they launch a full lineup. But you don't, ex- I don't know. I, I really don't, don't expect a full lineup this year. Expect maybe an MX350 and 450 killer from, Invi- from Intel in addition to integrated graphics that are good. And think about what they can do with this. If they can link these tiles together, there's no reason why, in my opinion, they couldn't make an APU with something as strong as an, think about it, a GTX 450, <laughs> or probably stronger, actually, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then they just add a tile next to the APU that just can link them together. Like, so that's what yeah. they're also looking at doing. And so then if they had that, t- if they had the equivalent of one tile in an Intel i9, you would know that if you get a four-tile GPU, it'll count as a five-tile. Probably not on desktop, but it could in laptop if they can just link them together that way. So it makes sense why they're going with this strategy. I mean, but, no, uh, yeah, definitely. And it's an interesting strategy if they can get their interconnect power issues figured out. Which, But I can't say more than that. <laughs> they're Intel. They probably can. <laughs> yeah, they have the resources. We'll see. Anyways, though... Well, like I said, the last thing, you know, let me say the last thing I'll say. The people who say Intel is just, it's all hopeless, that is just not. That's just not what's going on, guys. It's not <laughs> hopeless at Intel right now. It's not, okay? There, are, there is a power struggle going on, though, because the company went through some rough times. That's all I'll say. And there are, there are a lot of uh, motivations for some people to smear the names of other people at the company. So just <laughs> don't take the bait. Um, anyways, though, Max writes in, on Threadripper Quad Channel, G-Skill 3200 MHz C14, it will clock to 3466 C14 with one click in the BIOS. I don't really recommend using those one-click overclocking things in BIOSes, by the way, guys. They're rarely, they're rarely stable in my experience. And if they are stable, they use like way more energy and voltage than necessary. But anyways, but 3733 C14 would stall and then boot at 2133. Correct. If you have your RAM overclock not stable, it'll boot back down to a really low speed yeah. to make sure it can boot back up. <laughs> Even with Samsung Beta, I couldn't get 3733 megahertz. Yep. <laughs> I'm not really sure what to add to that, Max, to be honest here. Um, I mean, what I'll say is this. You can't ever assume any of your RAM will overclock anywhere easily. Like, I, most of the RAM I've had in history was horrible at overclocking. Like it wouldn't even go out of spec at all. Now, the recent one I got that I've been using since 2016, I used it with my Skylake system. Now I'm using it with my 3950X. Yeah, I overclocked that. I don't remember what it was. I think it was like CL18, 3200 megahertz or something. And then I over, I've overclocked it to 3600 megahertz CL14. So yeah, it's pretty great. I lucked <laughs> out on that one. Uh, but I didn't expect it to get there. And I know that if I populated four DIMMs, which you're obviously doing with a Threadripper quad channel, you can't expect it to clock as high as everyone else might be able to. You're using four DIMMs. The memory controller is more strained the more DIMMs are populated. I don't know. Do you have anything to add, Dan? No, not really. I'll also add your 
RAM is pretty good with uh, overclocking timings as well, right? I don't, yeah, that's I don't know what if there's... I said. It would see oh, okay. 14. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. Dan. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, um, I haven't overclocked RAM in a bit, but yeah, I've had unstable RAM for the reasons that it was just going to shit. And yeah, it, it's going to, it always just uh, boots down to really shitty clocks when it crashes. Let us move on to number five. So this one here is about Ampere. And I actually got two stories. So there's one that talks about a hint that they might announce something at GDC. Uh, and then there's, which is soon. And then there's another thing showing NVIDIA teased a new RTX graphics card. Did you read up on this? Uh, yeah, a bit. So I guess a cyberpunk dev, which, come on, guys. On Twitter, this is so obviously choreographed. Wait, do you think he this j- was planned? <laughs> do you think this was planned? Wow, what? So the cyberpunk game team at Twitter goes, at NVIDIA GeForce, what do you think about making a limited edition cyberpunk GPU? NVIDIA says, stay tuned. And this art, so yeah, this is obviously choreographed to create buzz. And so this comes out, this story here, a few hours after the other story about NVIDIA talking about Ampere at GTC. I don't know. When is GTC? I don't even see it. Uh, let me check. March? It says March. I think March. Yeah, I don't remember. I think it's exactly. like March 11th. It's like, it's like early March, I believe. Well, but so, yeah, it was, it was, I found so weird is like WCCF tech, just like, is this the 2080 Ti Super with a Cyberpunk edition or is it like just throwing ideas at the wall? It's like, you ask me, it's pretty obvious what this is. Either A, they're launching the 2080 Ti Super at GTC with possibly a cyberpunk branding before the game comes out, which I suppose it was delayed recently. So maybe they had a plan in place already. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, this is Tom here. Just cutting in quick because we actually recorded this episode one day before NVIDIA literally confirmed what this teaser was for. And indeed, it was. It was for a Cyberpunk limited edition of the 2080 Ti, but not even the Super, just the 2080 Ti. And they're making a very small amount of them. I think it actually, the design and the links in the description actually kind of looks cool. But to me, what this means is that it's completely obvious that NVIDIA was planning to launch some special edition 2080 Ti around Cyberpunk's launch, which was going to be April of this year. And so they had some deal in place. They had the molds ready to go. And then Cyberpunk gets delayed to September. So what are you going to do? You know, who knows? Maybe they'll still make a limited edition 3080 version for when it comes out. But it's very clear that this is an insanely limited run because the game was delayed, but NVIDIA still made the mold, so they might as well release some 2080 Ti's now as a marketing event. But yeah, so that's what I think, and let's see what Dan thinks here. I stand by my statement that this card is pretty fucking lame. Mm, yeah, so Dan uh, does not think that limited editions of graphics cards are cool at all. Thank you for your input, Dan. He did send that, speaking into his phone from working in the lab today. All right. Let's get back to what we said. I didn't actually erase any of it, by the way. I left all of our old thoughts there because, eh, why hide it? It's kind of funny to hear what me and Dan thought before the information was confirmed. Right back to the show.
I mean, right? I I don't know. I a twenty eighty Ti Super would be pretty underwhelming in my opinion. <laughs> like, I mean, if they really pushed it, it could be ten percent better than the existing twenty eighty Ti. It could be better than the twenty, uh, better than the Titan RTX by a few percentage points of performance. I'm sure. Yeah, I know. It's just they've been on the same damn line for like so so well, long. Pascal now. lasted two years. That's I know. It's true. I know. <laughs> uh, this is normal. <laughs> yeah. And that this is one of those things that I think it's one or the other. And I it really wouldn't I think it would be good branding too. Cyberpunk will not be an easy to run game, at least not maxed out. And so having an RTX 3080 launch around the game that's branded like Cyberpunk. I mean, that's good marketing. Yeah, it is. And I'm It'd sure be like they a could. crisis edition, which I think they actually had it like the uh, 285 or something. Yeah, and they could have a, a, a cool cyberpunk looking graphics card. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess we'll see. Um, all I'll say is this. We talked about the coronavirus and we've talked about how many times how I'm just skeptical that a full Ampere launch is coming soon. I could easily see NVIDIA unveil Ampere in a month and mm-hmm. not actually have it come out till quarter three. Like, And that would be a good yeah. thing to do if AMD's indeed has a, there's a chance AMD could launch Big Navi in a few months and actually have it have the performance crown for a couple months. It would be good marketing to hype up Ampere as coming out just right after Big Navi so that hopefully no one buys it if you're NVIDIA. Yeah, I mean, that would be, yeah, that would be the ideal plan for them to just completely remove the wind uh, from AMD's sales uh, for having the performance crown. But again, I, and I think GTC would then be like right after this financial thing from AMD. So yeah, I guess in summary, it would not surprise me at all if NVIDIA starts doing these obvious sh- tongue-in-cheek leak things going on around the big Navi announcement. Then a week later, they announce big Am- they announce Ampere with Cyberpunk mm-hmm. branding. And uh, I think it's either going to be a 2080 Ti Super that comes out now <laughs> or it's going to be, I, or it's going to be an RTX 3080 with Cyberpunk branding that comes out in quarter three or quarter four. And I don't, I don't see why WCCF Tech is like, why would they might announce 2080 Ti Super coming out late 2020? And I'm like, what? Why they can make? A, <laughs> they're making them right now. They already have 12 gigabyte 2080 Ti Supers that are being used in GeForce. Uh, they're GeForce now, I believe, servers. So why the hell would they? wait half a year to launch the 2080 Ti Super and they've already got them. And you'll want to have that out before, way before Big Navi comes out. So the only thing I'll say is this, is if they launch a 2080 Ti Super late this year, something's wrong with Ampere. (laughs) That's all I can say. I just think it's obviously one or the other. I mean, yeah, I agree. Uh, the The other option is for some reason they would be holding off because they want to make sure they're graphics card launch coincides with cyberpunk 2077's launch which that makes makes, no sense (laughs) makes no sense yeah i think you only do that if it's opportune you only do that if it was gonna launch around it the whole time anyways that's like uh, the 290x had a battlefield 4 bundle and battlefield 4 branding on some of their cards when it launched and that's they didn't hold the graphics card for battlefield 4 they just happened to come out at the same time
currently, I am in the process of breaking down my mining rigs. It's just not profitable anymore, and I want to use some of the spare parts, plus a few new ones, to build my first benchmarking station. Now, what most people might not be able to guess is that my mining rigs all used windows, and ones with legitimate keys. But getting those legitimate keys was a hassle. I was forced to scour eBay and be discerning and making sure that the people selling those $10 Windows keys weren't a scam. And sometimes the keys didn't work and I had to fight for my money back. But you don't have to if you go to CDK Offers. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to user center and then my purchase orders to get the code just use this code with a normal download of windows 10 professional from microsoft's website all right links in the description anyways though let us move on to number six. So the MX350, it's funny. MX350 specs got confirmed right when the uh, <laughs> last podcast with me and the good old gamer went public. And yeah, it's funny. I remember him saying it was going to be, it has to be 128-bit to compete with Renoir. And I insisted, no, it's going to be 96-bit at most. And it could just be 64-bit because the entire point is this. It uses the same graphics, package, you know, PCB package, but having more than one gate, one uh, chip of GDR5 is an issue for packaging. And so there's a decent chance they're just going to take a GTX 1050, uh, clock it lower, and then disable it down to 64 bit with two gigabytes of GDR5. And that's what this is. Um, and it looks like it has a TDP of 20 watts, and it'll be TDP down to 15 watts, not 10. It's not going in my my next generation Envy. It can't fit. You know, uh, they would need a bigger heat sink, and they would need which. So this is not drop in replacement. This is going to act as kind of the replacement for the MX 250 25 watt version. And I just think a 64 bit 1050 Renoir was already going to come pretty close to a 460. This is this is going to be. I think at best the same performance as Renoir and use more energy than an entire Renoir APU. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to say about it? I mean, no, I guess I'm excited for Renoir benchmarks to come out because we'll we'll see how they truly compare. Uh, We're talking about NVIDIA, Dan. I know. Okay. I know. Yeah. I'm just saying I'm curious to see how Renoir ultimately will stack against the MX350 because... My guess is that uh, NVIDIA didn't think that Renoir would be as uh, competitive as it is. Mm -hmm. I bet they thought it might have eight cores, but they'll be clocked way lower. They won't be able to get the boosts as under control if they do that. And they also didn't see Vega Plus or whatever you want to call it, right? A new generation of GCN coming that will yeah. actually take up almost no die space and actually get in between RDNA and GCN uh, IPC. They just didn't see that coming at all. I mean, it almost seems like it's closer to RDNA performance, frankly. Per yeah, unit. It, yeah, I know. Which, yeah, with back to the MX, with the MX350, yeah, I guess I'm 
I'm surprised that it's also not very doesn't seem to be very power efficient either. So well, I mean, I it's know. using 14 nanometer against seven nanometer, and this is yeah, that's true. It's not even on 12. And again, this is the point <laughs> of that video I made. I think they should have made a TU 118. They should have made a 100 millimeter squared 512 uh, Turing core thing to replace this with GDR6, which it sounds like they're working on something like that, by the way. That's what's so funny. I don't have that in this script here that we're going through, but it sounds like they may be working on a disabled (laughs) 64-bit GDR6 GTX 1650. But that too is like, well, I don't know how they're getting that. And that's not going to use 10 watts. And even if it fits on the same PCB, which it looks like it might take up the entire PCB, (laughs) like just one big die. Because again, remember that... um, it makes sense why they would they would be able to fit the same Pascal thing on there. It's like 132 millimeter squared for the GTX 1050 Ti die. And mm-hmm. uh, the GTX 1650 die is 200 millimeter squared. Like that's It's way bigger. It's almost triple the die size of the MX250. And they should have just made something smaller, I think, and launched it now. And again, yeah. and, and the problem with this supposed Turing 1650-based MX450 is that that'll be about competing with Zen 3 APUs. So it's like, good luck in Tiger Lake. Yeah, I don't know. I think NVIDIA, might, because they were focusing on other things, might have just accidentally boxed themselves out of this uh, market. The entry laptop market they somehow yeah. clung back. They somehow clung to, which surprised me. But yeah, let us move on then. We spoke of it. So Renoir update. This I kind of made this one story. There were two things. Number one, there is this... 40, this Ryzen 7 4800 HS. So, so before there was the Ryzen 7 4800U, which was the 15-watt version. And then there was the 4800H, which is the, you know, the equivalent of like the higher clocked i7 mobile ones too. So that was a 45-watt version. This one is the HS, which is a 35-watt version that seems to boost as high as the H, but it's the best yields. So this could, okay. yeah. I guess one thing I would say is you could almost fit this in my NV13 because instead of a, you know, 15 to 25 watt i7 and a 10 watt graphics card, you just have one 35 watt APU. And the benchmarks we're seeing, yeah, it's a 2700X full. It's as good as a full four gigahertz, 4.3 gigahertz, 2700X. And it is about as good as an RX 460. And that's in 35 watts. I mean, that's very, very (laughs) impressive. I mean, 35 watts, that could go in a relatively low-powered uh, laptop, I suppose. I mean... Now, again, it could fit in my netbook. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have the battery life of your Envy, I don't think, but it would have a better battery life well, than that. most of the time, it won't be using that much energy. Yeah, that's true. It, but, uh, I mean, yeah, that would have, have a pretty decent battery life uh, and provide really, really good performance. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't well, know. Well, they were able to fit a 1650 Max-Q and an Ice Lake i7 in uh, that new Razer Stealth, which is as big as my Envy, not a little smaller. So technically, Dan, they can fit it. (laughs) But like you say, if it was boosting to full, uh, well, I mean, yeah, it might not have that much battery life. But uh, And then the other thing here is there's this supposed R9-4900H that's being tested by Apple right now, which I, I saw some people in my Discord talking about. Why is no one talking about this, that Apple is testing this new super Renoir APU and no one seems to see how big of a deal that would be if AMD actually takes, puts their APUs in MacBooks instead of, instead of Intel. I mean, yeah, because right now Mac is entirely Intel based for their 
like Mac products, correct? Yeah, they are. They have AMD graphics cards in some of them, but they're basically yeah, all yeah, they, processors. Oh, yeah, they do for it, graphics. So, yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big deal if they're starting to push Intel out of Apple. I mean, I, I, Apple doesn't seem to have ever been super exclusive to one. They just go wherever the best shit is at any given time. But Right, and Ice Lake was just good enough again, probably, you know, to yeah. keep it in there. Yeah, I guess the other thing I'll say is when we talk about the R94900H, I don't know if this is what it is, but I told, I've talked to you about it, Dan. I was sent some information about a super APU uh, Microsoft is testing right now. I was sent, and again, guys, oh. I'm sorry I haven't gotten these videos out. And it looked like it could be up to 24 compute units and uh, eight cores, 16 threads. So that might be what's coming for some of these too that level of performance. So we're talking RX 570 and, you know, 3700X performance and maybe some of the super APUs that are not super big. I have to be careful when I say super APU because technically, I mean, hey, Xbox Series X is a 400 millimeter squared APU. That's a super <laughs> APU. But I'm saying there are some in-between ones coming out, guys, that I've been made aware of uh, from some stuff I've been sent. Again, sorry I'm behind on my... It's like, but I have like three whispers videos come out in the last month. I, I, I'm busy, guys. I'm trying yeah, to get Tom, all the info out there. You, you really need to work harder, Tom. <laughs> I know. I'm not, dude. I saw that on Patreon a couple of months ago. It there's exit interviews for people that cancel their Patreon, and it's almost always uh, money reasons or I, you know, like I'm a college student. That's usually that's like ninety percent of them. But yeah. one of them in December said, "Not enough content." I hope I'm doing enough, guys. But I do understand that I'm behind on this. I think what's going to end up happening is it's like, I'm just going to keep pushing out all these whispers and leaked videos for the next month. And then then maybe there will be one week where it's just one podcast and one video so I can hopefully get enough sleep. <laughs> There's just so much to talk about right now, especially with the consoles. I don't see it slowing down anytime soon, though, because I, right when I work through this Intel and AMD APU info I've been sent, guess what? Next-gen consoles are probably just going to be announced. Well, yeah, it's just I remember when a like a, a month ago we were like, oh, this should be a short podcast. And then like the last two days you added like fucking six new items to the script. I don't know. There's just a lot of shit going on right now. So, well, and the reason I keep churning it out is because I like talking about it. Oh, so much. <laughs> Number eight. It's funny. This was technically when did it was this February 7th. So, yeah, this came out. A couple of days after we had the last podcast, me and you did come out. Hey, 64 core, AMD, 3990X is out. We have to talk about it at least a little bit, don't you think? This deserves its own story. Yeah, it was kind of funny. It, it kind of, it seemed like it kind of just randomly came out. At least that was my perception of it. I don't know if I missed something, but. It, it, it kind of came out, it kind of came under the radar and there was never any, well, it's kind of, you know what? It reminds me of when the 3950X came out. Because I remember, you remember that like uh, video I rushed out, which was like in between meetings when I was in Fort Wayne, I did yeah. a live stream and the video was like my impression, my, um, yeah, my thoughts on the reviews I was reading. And I said it was a 2950 in the streets and a 990 and a 9900K in the sheets, which I'm quite proud of that. Um, but uh, that review came out kind of surprisingly for me too. Like, I found out it was coming out when I saw the reviews pop up. 
Um, and this is the same with the 3990X. Is it's we always knew it was going to come out around here, but I think we for, I forgot, right? Yeah. Because there's so much other stuff going on, and let's be honest, I'm not getting it, so I wasn't paying that much attention. <laughs> I do, lo- but I like uh, Steve Walton's uh, review. The title for the review: "I'll see your 18 cores Intel and raise you to 64." <laughs> Yeah, right. Which is the link I have was from TechSpot, which is who I usually use for these benchmarks. And yeah, I mean, I'll just speak for myself first then. I also noticed the price. I don't know how I didn't notice this at first. Its price is $3,990. Ah, <laughs> uh, ha, ha. But, uh, but yeah, when you look at it, what really blows me away and continues to blow me away about all Zen 2 processors is just how good it is at everything. I mean, it's hilarious to look at it just being 50% better at all professional tasks than the 32 core, which is astounding and, and twice as good in some of the benchmarks, which you would expect. But it's just funny when I scroll down to these gaming benchmarks, there it is. It's ahead of the 9900K in Division 2. It's tied in Ghost Recon Breakpoint. It's basically tied with the top processors in every game. There are a few games where maybe it's 10% worse in like, average frame rates, but that's just like, it's ridiculous. 60, I, I, I honestly expected it to have some gaming problems with yeah. 64 cores. It doesn't. It just games at 144 hertz. Do whatever you want with this thing. It's absolutely insane, this architecture. Yeah, I, I know. It, it's crazy how it, it, you always see like some issues come once you uh, scale up to these higher core counts. And for some reason, Zen 2 just seems to not have that issue. So... It's a remarkable architecture. I saw some people reach out to in the comments. There are a few professionals that do own it. And they said to me that, yeah, it's so crazy. When I'm playing games, I can I can have it literally rendering with like, <laughs> I can have 48 cores rendering in the background and 16 cores gaming. And what will be crazy is if I'm just gaming, it'll boost like like 12 or 16 cores for a game above 4 gigahertz. It'll actually boost them above 4 gigahertz for the game and then have the other cores running at much lower speeds. And it's just fine. It just does whatever you want at the same time. It's absolutely incredible. And what I'll add is if you think this is incredible, guys, Zen 3 is coming. <laughs> and I do believe Zen 3 could have a 10 to 20% IPC increase, slightly higher clock speeds and lower latency yet again. And I don't care because I have my 3950X. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, if it, if someday I can just upgrade for $500 to something that's 30, 40% better, eh, I'll just drop it into my X570. And maybe I'll uh, sell you my 3950X and you'll be a 16 core peasant. Sell your bullshit eight cores. Yeah, fucking eight cores. What? What? What's the point? I mean, why? I mean, you might as well kill yourself. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just exactly. eight cores. Exactly. All right. Blokes talks about how the 3600 was six cores um, for $200. And now that the 3800X is clocked like 10% faster and has 33% more cores, if you multiply all of this together, a $300 3800X is just as good of a deal as the 3600. Hmm. Which I agree. And that's what I'm saying is it's like the only thing with the 3800X is a 9900K that uses less energy. If they just make that 300 bucks, I'll start recommending that a lot. Yeah. Having said that, though, the 3600 is now 150. (laughs) And the 2700X is moving closer to like 140. It's like, okay, 
I, I'm just going to keep recommending 2,700 X's if they go down to a hundred bucks. I'm sorry. I, I, just, I mean, yeah, that's my blanket recommendation. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, at the lower end, that's clearly the best option right now. Well, and again, I, I want to point this out because I think this is such a funny thing. The 2700 X launched for $330, I think. And everyone said that was a better deal than the $500 9900K. Now the 9900K is like 450 and the 2700X is like 140. Mm-hmm. It's the same processors, except one is half the price. And there's still people buying the 9900K for like 10% more performance. 20, maybe 15% more to the 2700X in some games. Although in some games, the 2700X beats the 3600. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand it. It seems like that num- that group of people that's still buying the 9900K is dwindling. But <laughs> Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, <laughs> it's crazy, these deals. Anyways, let us move on to number nine. So... Number nine is about Whitley Lake, and this is Ice Lake Server. And in some benchmarks, it's getting double the single core performance to the previous 14 nanometer server chips. Uh, what do you think, Dan? Um, I mean, that's... <laughs> once again, that's uh, crazy. I mean, 14 nanometer is just such a damn old architecture at this point that... Intel's 14 nanometer Skylake. Yeah, yeah. That... Uh, I I don't know. It, it looks like they just might need to move on to 10 nanometer, even if it's fewer cores, which I think this is fewer cores than there. Well, this sample is 12 cores. I know that it's supposed to go up to, I believe, 38 cores. Okay, so that's respectable at least then. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and again, I get, I just want to point this out that yes, Zen 2 server with 64 cores is destroying Intel. Yes, a 38-core Ice Lake will not maybe even be better than that, but it's going to be significantly better (laughs) than what they have now. And if you think Intel is just going to sit around while AMD launches that, you know, Rome and then Milan with Zen 3, that's not going to happen. Intel is going to at least try to be... See, right now they're half as good (laughs) is the problem. They have 28 cores that use like 300 watt. Well, I mean, I don't know how many watts, right? They have 28 cores that use more energy than in AMD is 64 core. And getting to a 38 core that uses less energy than their 28 core or around the same, that is a better situation. They won't be half as good anymore. They might be two thirds as good. Now, maybe they'll still just be half as good as Zen 3, but they can't lose this. They can't be half as good means if you're in an entrenched market, you can still kind of keep a lot of your market share. If they ever got to a third as good, that's where it becomes more expensive to keep Intel than to just spend money upgrading. Yeah. And they just can't let that happen. And I I don't think they're going to yet. I I just don't see, I I really see this happening. I guess one thing I'll add on is again, and this will be in an upcoming video, which I guess this episode is just all about Tom dropping hints about what he's working (laughs) on, but hasn't finished yet is there's a lot of evidence that Intel is going to make 10 nanometer somewhat their main node by 2022. By the end of 2021, it, look, it's never going to be as ubiquitous as 14 nanometer was for Intel, but there's a lot of evidence they are planning to move some of their foundries to 10 nanometer now, and that it should take up a decent proportion of their manufacturing. Uh, we'll have to see, though. We have to see what, uh, if Tiger Lake's crazy good, 
then we'll know they're 10 nanometers getting into shape, I guess. And, and Ice Lake Server. Let's see how good Ice Lake Server is, too. I mean, yeah, all I can say is, Jesus, I hope they can move to majority 10 nanometer production soon because it's, I mean, it's kind of insane how long it's taken them. I don't think it's ever really going to be majority 10 nanometer. What I think's going to happen is it'll get to like 40%, 30% 10 nanometer late next year, maybe. And then they'll start transitioning other foundries to seven nanometer. And there might be a time where it's like the plurality. Okay, that makes sense. So seven nanometer. So they it, 10 nanometer will never be like a truly dominant architecture. It'll just kind of be a transition node between that and uh, seven nanometer. Which I guess... Uh, yeah, that's what I see happening. Yeah, which I guess makes sense given the fact that uh, they've been working on it for so damn long. Hopefully there will be fewer hiccups with 7 nanometers production, which sounds like there will be, but... Well, I and that's the thing is, I don't know anything about 7 nanometer being good. Yeah. I think everyone just assumes yeah, yeah. they'll get that working. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. My bet is that 10 nanometer becomes a real node. And then let's, or, or should I say, not even my bet. Here's my point. Let's fucking make 10 nanometer work before we start speculating on seven. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, that's my point, that's guys. True. <laughs> let's just make that work first. How about that? <laughs> All right. Number 10. So the listeners of the last Tom and Dan episode will know that we talked about a new Times 86 Chinese processor for the do-it-yourself market in China. You can then order to America. And I have a review for it from a Hong Kong uh, tech tuber, she goes through it. Damn, it doesn't look very good. Um, I mean, I think I, I think I uh, guessed that last week that it wouldn't be that good. Um, it's worse than I thought it would be. So this is the KX six seven eight zero A, and this is by Zhao Jin. And yeah, I mean, this is an eight core, eight thread. It is x86. It is, guys. It is using the uh, license from Via. And she reviews it here. It's in Chinese, but the subtitles are very good, I noticed. And I got to say, it looks like it's about a fifth as good as a 9700K, which is another eight core, eight thread, except for <laughs> Mintel. So I guess the best comparison I can say is we have an eight core here from Zhao Jin versus Intel's eight core. It's clocked at 2.7 gigahertz versus, let's just call it, Intel's 5 gigahertz. So let's just make the math easy and just say it's clocked half as fast. But it has about a fifth of performance. <laughs> and so, well, and it's slightly over half as fast of clock speed. So it has about half the IPC of AMD and Intel right now. This is like an 8-core pile driver that's clocked slower. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's what this is. I mean, it's just to try to keep some of the market the DIY market in uh, China happy with their own internal CPUs. But beyond that... No, I mean, this, this could work for office PCs. I, I talked about this with Carbon Cry. At first, we thought it may be 28 nanometer. And if it was, it'd be like, okay, then this makes sense. It's not 16. <laughs> 16 nanometer. It's uh, it's close enough to Intel's own node and performance that this is... I mean, Intel's 14 nanometer, I'd say, is a bit better than TSMC's 16. Um, but still, that's no excuse. I mean, it's it's half as good at best. And and again, what they showed is it can play CSGO at 60 frames a second in 1080p. And it was funny. There's like this weird propaganda thing at the end of the video where she's like speaking. Of course, this is in Chinese, but she's like, and this demonstrates that China is ready to serve its own market itself finally. And I'm like, 
Mm. Yeah, enjoy your uh, <laughs> 70 watt CPU. That's a fifth as strong as a 9700K. It's not even that much less energy <laughs> than it, it, Intel's eight core. It's not. Uh-uh. Yeah, I mean, it's you. You always get your hopes up when you see a new thing, a new uh, competitor, competitor coming, maybe. And every time it happens, at least so far, it's always been a letdown. And I saw a comment in Chinese that I translated using Google Translate. And he says in the comments on YouTube, 70 watt TDP performance is close to Intel's 10 watt CPU, dot, dot, dot. It seems like, in my opinion, there's still many years to go. (laughs) Can't agree with you more. Chinese person who has a name I can't pronounce. Yeah. You're immortalized forever. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess what I'll say is I was talking about how if it was a reasonable price, I wouldn't mind ordering it if I could use it as like a backup server chip eventually. And like, if it was like a hundred bucks, I'd get it to test it. I think it was like 200 bucks or 150. And and it's like, it'd be cheaper to just get like an Atom motherboard. Yeah. Like, they'll probably (laughs) outperform it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I don't know. I, I would pay like... 50, 50 bucks for this? I don't know. Yeah, it's not. It's just not there, guys. Sorry. All right. Well, let us move on to number 11. So I brought this one up kind of randomly, but I've seen a lot of people talking about how they think PlayStation might get sloppy again uh, because they're ahead. And I just wanted to include this really quickly, a conversation here about how the PlayStation 4 has shipped less units than they thought last year and that they're expecting a giant drop-off in sales and Xboxes as well. So what I'm saying is Sony knows they need another home run because people are going to all upgrade soon because this generation's been a long one again. I guess that's what I'm saying. It's seven years. It'll be seven years since the PS4 came out. So I just don't see them getting sloppy. And I don't think Microsoft, or I hope Microsoft won't either. I don't see Microsoft getting sloppy. Uh, the only thing I could see them doing is like some big strategic mistake. I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, not too much. Just Sony and Microsoft have both uh, had to take had to take pretty big uh, punches. Microsoft with the Xbox One generation and Sony with the um, PS3. And I, I feel like both of them should have learned their lesson by now. And I don't think they'll get super sloppy. I mean, who knows? Maybe there will be something that's not quite as satisfying as we hoped it would be. Like maybe the PS5 will be five hundred dollars instead of the price point we were hoping for of like four hundred or four fifty, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess my phone has been popping up, sending me a ton of stories lately about how they think the PS4's cost of manufacturing is going to be at least uh, four hundred seventy dollars. I haven't looked too much into that, but well, yeah, and I've seen. I guess that's kind of a different subject. But let's touch on that. I've saw some people saying so. It's likely it cost five hundred. No, they sold. <laughs> they sold the PS4 at a loss. To I me, know. that tells me if they want to, they can sell this for four fifty or even four hundred. Yeah, which, or even four twenty nine. Which it, 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 I don't know. For some reason, a mainstream news outlets are always terrible about p- reporting on consoles. I don't understand why they're so bad at it. Like this was from an MSNBC article where it was like the. Parts to manufacture could be as much as 450 which means that they would need to sell this for at least $470. And it's like, you fundamentally no. don't understand how the console market has worked for generations now. Then <laughs> Nintendo is like the only one that uh, sells at uh, profits with the initial sales of their consoles. 
Like that's just not how this market works. Yeah, and and I mean, I remember people in the comments like saying, "I think both consoles will be seven hundred dollars." I'm like, "There's no world where that happens. There's no world, no world where they will sell a console for seven hundred. Now there were a lot of rumors and a lot of evidence that the next Xbox may be sold at six hundred. And I always thought if it ran Windows, they might get away with it. But I get the feeling now they're not going to. I think the most they'll sell it for is five fifty, and I'm still kind of getting the feeling that they're both going to get aggressive. You can see them both waiting for each other to announce stuff, and what that tells me is they're both going to say, "Dude, let's just go nuclear here." Yeah, and, I, and so I'm just saying the PlayStation could be sold for four hundred if they want to. They've sold PlayStations for worse losses before. Yeah, I mean I agree, and yeah, it, although maybe like four twenty nine would be the one to go with. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I mean, and I guess as far as sales drops go, I'm assuming this is pretty standard. Like, I, I, I'm assuming PS3 and 360 sales had a big drop off for in 2013. Um, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they did, but man, that was, you know, that was a long time after. That was like 10 years. Well, not 10 years. Though. Was that the same amount of time, though? Eight years. So I guess pretty similar amount of time. Uh, afterwards, but yeah. I mean, I guess the other s- story is this is the second most uh, successful Sony console now, though. Yeah, I'd say it'll probably, it's not going to outsell a PS4. I PS2. mean, PS2, yeah. sorry. <laughs> well, well, I'm right about that. The PS4 will not outsell the PS4. I'm that correct. is impossible. But yeah, <laughs> so I, I see both of these consoles getting pretty aggressive personally, and I, it's just the opening is there. Yeah. I mean, with PC prices, like, do it, guys. Come on. <laughs> but anyways, let us move on to number 12. So NVIDIA's Geoforce Now just lost all Activision Blizzard games from their cloud gaming service out of nowhere. That, I just threw this in there because I'm like, that's actually a huge deal. When did Geoforce Now launch? It was pretty soon recently, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. I think they've had betas for a while, but I think it recently just launched, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. So that's a huge hit for the service. I don't know why it happened, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I'm, uh, I kind of threw this in there, just like, <laughs> I got to be honest, guys, when people talk about the streaming wars, like how Google's going to win, and I, I I thought Google would kill it. Well, not kill it, kill it as much as you can kill it. I thought they shouldn't be underestimated. And I still to this day think if they just make it so you can see an ad for Assassin's Creed and for free play the old one in 720p immediately. I just see, or even the new one. Like, what if they just let you play it for an hour free in a browser for in 720p to try out a new game? I think with ads in the background while you're moving around, that is the end goal, I think, of Stadia. Because that's how you integrate it with YouTube and all of their advertising stuff. But if they don't even do that, they're gone. I mean, and it just doesn't look like Stadia is going to be as good as they advertise it. The, the latency looked way worse than I expected. Like, I'm honestly disappointed. It's like, what is the excuse? Yeah. It looked way worse than like PS Now or xCloud. I'm like, what? If anyone should have low latency, it's you, Google. I mean, what the hell? And then now I see this with GeForce just losing a bunch of games. I, the Really, the more I think about it is it's like, guys, in an unsurprising development, the leaders in game streaming might be Xbox and PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's Stadia looks like it sucks. I guess <laughs> I guess GeForce Now it just I, I don't maybe they'll be able to come to some new business deal in, in the coming months. But based on the article, it looks like for one reason or another Activision isn't interested in working with them. So, 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I guess I've never played. Uh, I've never used PlayStation now, so I don't know how good it is personally. But I've heard it's fine. That, that, that's that's what I hear. Is it's unanimously fine. Yeah, not great, but it works. Yeah. And what I saw for Stadia was it did not look like fine to me. Yeah, it looked like everything. And, unless there's a double standard here, it looked <laughs> like Stadia had to be worse. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it looked like everything was like a hundred millisecond plus response time, and that's not okay. Well, and then the problem they said was is they were really marketing it, you know, because right now Sony markets it on their PlayStation and on PC or Mac right now to use PlayStation now. And the problem is uh, Stadia was using the smart app in smart TVs. And so in the, a lot of these smart TVs they integrated it into, those have huge input lag. Yeah, yeah. And so you got the input lag of the TV and that, and they should someone playing Far Cry 5 or something. And it was like crazy. Like, like they actually should have like press the button. <laughs> yeah, and like you could actually see the difference easily. Like it was like, it was so bad. But yeah, so I don't know. I guess we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't know how much I care either way. I just bring this up to say, okay, that's not good. And again, I really think xCloud shouldn't be underestimated. And right now, guys, I know why no one pays attention. PlayStation Now is the most popular streaming service on Earth by like a large margin. So just, you can't talk about it and not bring that up. Anyways, number 13, the final story before a fun little segment at the end. Steam's latest experimental feature helps you choose what games to play next. And I quote, and this comes from TechSpot, the experiment aptly dubbed Play Next uses Steam's recommendation algorithms to suggest three unplayed games from your library upon completing a game. They could be games you bought in a sale a year ago or a title you just picked up a few days ago. The algorithm's trying to figure out a way to suggest which game you'll probably feel like playing next after completing one. Um, I think that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I'm generally more, uh, have more intention with when I buy games, but I mean... <laughs> Me too, I, I, yeah, especially lately. I, I haven't... Go well, Humble Bundles used to be a big thing, and I think they, like, changed mm. their business strategy, so it's not... It's kind of shitty now. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I was surprised. Just uh, coincidentally, I was, like, looking at my games library on Steam a few days ago, and uh, I was like... Yeah. I was trying to launch Mountain Blade Warband, and I was like, where the hell is Mountain Blade Warband? And I saw I have like 256 games in my library. So those came from somewhere. Most of those are just from Humble Bundles, but I don't know. It's an interesting feature. Yeah, and there are so many games. Like, I haven't even beaten 2016's Doom. I haven't beaten... I have The Last Guardian on PlayStation 4. I haven't beaten Sekiro yet, and I'm someone who's platinumed Demon Souls twice, and Dark Souls, and Dark Souls two, and, <laughs> and I, I, Platinum Bloodborne, and I love Dark Souls three. Again, what I'm saying is it's so bizarre that I'm behind on that, but I am. I just, you know, I, my backlog's insane, and that's why I just buy fewer games now. And like you say, with intention, like Borderlands three, we're playing this now. I mean, yeah, like I, I, I look at Steam sales sometimes right now and I'm like, oh, I could get that. And it's like, when when the hell am I going to play that? Am I actually going to play it? Right. I'll, I'll buy yeah. uh, I'll buy Vanquish once I beat other games that I want to beat. <laughs> oh, you should play Vanquish. I, I know. <laughs> I guess that's all the stories. I just thought we'd bring that up for fun. Uh, I did send out a last minute telegram for you guys to give us some bets. Now, this is something I've added a section to the reader mail uh, channel in the Discord. 
know, that's where the fourth, uh, the unlocked fourth core supporters and higher can submit reader mails that I store and, you know, get to whenever it makes sense. And I added reader mail wagers. Now, the idea is this. So me and Dan talk a lot and we say a lot of things, but I think sometimes people misunderstand how much confidence there is behind things we say might happen. And so if you were to bet us, I will clarify how sure we are. Yeah. And so I want to do eventually a die shrink of just me and Dan clarifying our opinions. And so bet us, do you actually think, you know, like the example I put is, do you actually think, you know, Ampere is coming out this year? Would you bet a hundred dollars? You know, and then I'll say maybe yes, maybe no. I'll say yes, I'll bet a thousand or I'll say no, I'll bet $20 it will though, or something like that. And it allows us to really clarify things. So fill up that reader mail, but we got a couple right here. So just, you know what, damn, let's get to them. All right. So Dermige writes in and he says, Tom, you seem adamant that the RTX 3080 will be $700, not $800. This flies in the face of current pricing trends and inflation. Given what we've seen out of NVIDIA over the 2000 series, will you actually bet $100, the $100 difference between $700 and $800, (laughs) that this is how cheap it's going to be? Well, thanks for the question, Dermige. Right off the bat, no. Would you, well, let me ask you, Dan, would you bet that? No, I would never, I would never bet a large amount of money on the uh, possibility that NVIDIA will not price something too expensive. (laughs) I agree. When I say I think it's going to be priced more reasonably and it could even be $700, that's not something I'm going to bet on. And I I think, let me clarify, me and Dan are not gambling people. So when we bet any amount of money, that's like a certainty in our eyes, Right. Like, what was it like? I bet a friend, for instance, he said, I just don't think there's any way seven nanometer cards are coming out in 2019. And then I ordered my Radeon 7. (laughs) And I was like, you owe me 20 bucks. (laughs) You know, and to his credit, less seven nanometer cards came out than I thought. There were no NVIDIA ones. And there were, although eventually I thought, you know, I guess this bet was made in 2018. So by then, you know, uh, and uh, they only launched a few, but I was right, but that was me being certain. I really was sure they would have seven nanometer products out in 2019. So I guess to answer your question, Dermage, I would bet $20 that it's either under $800 and has 10 gigabytes of memory or that if it's $800, again, it's a monster card, right? Like, I'm not willing to bet that NVIDIA is going to really shake up things a ton, but I am confident that they know that they can't be cocky this time around. If you look at their latest earnings, it was a good earnings, but they lost revenue in gaming. And with AMD bringing out Big Navi and all of this mindshare they have, I think NVIDIA is acutely aware they can't screw around this time. Don't you think, Dan? I mean, yeah. Like, AMD is competitive with uh nvidia right now and they have two cards and they're well not two cards they have like four mid-range cards though it's not they don't have a bunch of high-end cards and they're still seem to be selling really well maybe even doing better than nvidia so yeah if they want to remain competitive in gaming they need to either price things they need to price things more aggressively um I mean, maybe the other option is they don't care about gaming that much and they won't, so they'll continue to price gouge, but 
if they want to remain competitive, they have to Th- that's lower That's definitely possible. And, and I think what they discovered is this, and this is something I forgot to say when I talked about the console pricing thing. There's no way any of these consoles will be priced over 600 because no one will buy it. It doesn't matter how good the price performance is. The market for console gamers dictates most people won't spend more than $500. And in fact, most people want to spend under 450 So that's why they won't do it, right? It's like the PS3 wasn't bad price performance. It had a 60 gigabyte hard drive, Wi-Fi, and a Blu-ray player. People forget there was a $500 version too, by the way. But that $600 version, which is the one they marketed the most, was just above what most people would pay. It didn't matter how good it was. It was just too expensive. And I think that's what NVIDIA discovered with the 2080. Yeah. That people will buy the de facto best card. <laughs> that's not outrageous. So like they had Titan uh, Volta for 3000 and then they had Titan XP for 1200 Okay. And then they had, they decided to do this. Titan RTX for 2500 2080 Ti for 1200 So... I think they could do that again, but they've realized that whatever the 2080 or 3080 is, people won't spend $800 on that because it's just not the best card. And it doesn't bring typically an entirely new tier level of gaming performance. So I think they know they need to either, if they're going to charge 800, they need it to be a 20 gigabyte, almost Titan RTX or something around there. Or it needs to be like a 10 gigabyte card. That's about a 2080 Ti. And I think they could charge as low as 750 for that. I think people will go gangbusters over it. I do. <laughs> Unless Big Navi is so good that no one cares, which we'll see. Anyways, though, we have one more bet here before I fall asleep. Night Rogue 77 writes him. He says, first, would you put a $20 bet on the PS5 being more powerful than the next Xbox? Mm, no. Would you, Dan? No. It- the the whole power thing has been I don't know pretty weird with uh, Xbox One and PS Five so I really have no clue which one's going to come out. Again, here's what I know: just because one has more teraflops does not mean better. See, that's what I assume this person means, and they say being more powerful. But here's what I do know, right? So, and, and I don't know how many teraflops they're going to have. But what I do know is this: all the way back, all the way back in early 2019. I had information that the PlayStation 5 was clearly more powerful, but that the Xbox had a better CPU. Fast forward, what I know now is that the, the Xbox seems to want to have a stronger single CPU, but the PlayStation 5 is a background processor that makes up for it, and that everyone, every dev on Twitter, every dev, including people I've talked to, says that at first the PS5 was going to be stronger, but Xbox way, way, way souped up the size of their die to make up for that. But at the same time, the difference in actual compute performance is going to be a wash that the PlayStation has supposedly more bandwidth and RAM. If you ask me, that makes their performance about the same, but it's unanimous that the PlayStation 5 has vastly superior storage. So what do you call powerful? Right? That's the problem. And it's unanimous that the Xbox costs more to make. Yeah, I I don't know. So maybe the Xbox One... I mean, not Xbox One. The next Xbox will have uh, higher res textures. Maybe that's true. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, 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 the PlayStation has more RAM, though. So why would it have? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what I'm hearing is they're going to have about the same performance, but one will eliminate load times. Now, ray tracing is a complete... We still don't even really know 
the ray tracing solution for RDNA 2.0, let alone whatever the hell the PlayStation's doing. Yeah. So I don't think we can really say. We we just can't say yet. And I'm not... And, and the reason I can't even place the $20 bet is because I'm not even sure what you mean by powerful, nor what I mean. I think they're going to be different consoles that will be legitimately debatable. I don't think this is going to be like the Xbox One and PS4 where it was like, <laughs> that one's just stronger. I think this one's going to be a very interesting to dissect thing. And again, I think me and Dan plan on doing a console hardware analysis podcast once we finally know the specs of both. But so no, I wouldn't bet it. I know I sound very pro PlayStation, but that's why I think it's important to bet me. Nope, I wouldn't bet it's going to be stronger because I don't know. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure yet. And there are just things like how they handle ray tracing that are just black boxes right now where it's like, I don't know. (laughs) All right. Second, he says, I forgot. Do you hold investments? Yes. What about AMD? Yes. Uh, I I do. I've said I do. I don't know how much longer I can because they're so high in price now. I'm curious as to what you think of the share price of AMD. It isn't but a few bucks behind Intel at this point. Correct, but there's way, 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 way fewer shares. I think last time I checked AMD's Total market cap is still not even like a fourth of Intel's. Don't quote me on that, guys. So it doesn't matter. Like if AMD hits home runs for two more years, their share price could be worth double what Intel's is, and it still would be a much smaller company in market cap. So just keep that in mind. It says, well, I think they should be experiencing a rise in share price. I'm a little head scratching as to how Intel and AMD could be so close together. They're not close together. There's more Intel shares. I mean... Same thing with NVIDIA. NVIDIA isn't worth more than Intel, but their share price is like quadruple Intel's. I mean, yeah, there are some companies that have like outrageous stock prices due to just being the biggest company. Like Tesla? Yeah, that has like what is, they're like 600, something like that right now. And I think they're like at 800. I'm guessing, I'm guessing Intel is valued higher than <laughs> Tesla. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Oh, I don't know. But, I don't feel like looking at Yeah, I, I, it's just the price of a stock is largely determined not only by how valuable the company is, but by how many shares they decide to have. The price of a company is how, not just the share price. Yeah, yeah. How many shares are out yeah. there. Yeah. So, so just keep that in mind. And what I've always said is, hey, if Intel falls apart and AMD hits absolutely monstrous home runs with huge market share gains for another two years, I mean, you could see their share price get into almost a bubble, but still somewhat legitimate where it becomes worth twice as much as an Intel share. But there is way more Intel shares. Not saying that's going to happen, and this is not financial advice, but you just got to remember that. Anyways, and he continues, however, I do know AMD outsold Intel 6 to 1 in the latter half of January in some do-it-yourself regions. Yeah, that's that's true, like in Germany and stuff. Yeah, that's insane. But yeah, so again, don't look at this as, and also keep in mind AMD's competing with NVIDIA, with Radeon. So you have to also think about why their share price may become worth a lot is because they're in so many different sectors, whereas Intel seems... Well, well and Intel's, Intel's in other sectors too, but... And Intel's trying to broaden themselves to be in discrete graphics as well, so... Correct, correct. So if they fail to do that, and then AMD takes tons of market share from NVIDIA and Intel, I think it'd be fair for AMD's stock price to be worth double Intel's, but that's what it would take. It would have to make it, and the reason it would be worth double Intel's share price isn't because they're worth it right then. It's because everyone sees the rise and is betting AMD's about to become as big as one of them. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the betting, and, and, and I'm imagining you guys got some good clarifications there. If you want to bet me, you know, do you think Big Navi will be stronger than this? Do you think the Xbox will have this? Bet us, and we'll tell you how much we would bet and if we wouldn't bet it, because most of the time we won't bet on some of the stuff we're talking about. But I want you to challenge us more because I like uh, I like the back and forth, like the back and forth with the community. 
Yeah, I think. All right. I think that uh, makes the the end product better. <laughs> together, we're stronger together. Yay! Yeah, and Tesla's share price is eight hundred. I'm looking at now, oh. and AMD's is fifty five dollars. Yeah, that's insane. Oh boy. Anyways, though, is there anything else you want to talk about, Dan? I do not believe I do. All right. Well, I think I'm going to go make some hot sake, cook up some rice and chicken for dinner. I don't know. Maybe watch BoJack Horseman. And then, Dan, we're getting that Borderlands trophy. We're getting the platinum. Okay. It's been sitting there for three months. Hug your dog for me. I will. (laughs) I'll hug my dog for you. Okay. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Broken Silicon. A lot of odd subjects for today, but I, I thought they were important. So, you know, let us know what you think. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. They're the ones making this possible. New Die Shrink just came out. That's patron exclusive. New Fiber States should maybe come out this week. I'm not sure. I think that might be when I start rolling them out. And uh, you know what? If you're a hitchhiker, just, just review us on Apple Podcasts and spread the word. Yeah, please do so. Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Carbon Cry, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Heron, Carl Marco, Phil S., Thyristor, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Christian Teen, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kankilo, Fatboy Diesel, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy Shot Show, Frederick Lau, Richter Cohagen, Alethros, Telos, Caden Picknell, Greg T. Wanjik, Jacob Barber, Exoti, Whiny Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, 
Rubber Ducks, Michael Costa, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Sadler Sadler, Drita Fole, and Evan Dingle. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>